The issue of Journey Planet dealing with Bob Wilkins and creature features, and in general, horror films pre-1980, is going to lead to a whole bunch of these discussions and episodes across all my podcasts that deal with horror films and science fiction and fantasy films that are seen at a certain level that would have been featured on creature features here in the Bay Area and Sacramento and around the country during the 70s and 80s. And one that I absolutely believe should be on the National Film Registry. And that actually helps to demonstrate the destructive nature of the motion picture production code is The Black Cat from 1934. And you have a bunch of historical things as to why it should be on. Uh, It was one of the first to have a full running score throughout the entire film. Remember, sound film at this point was still not experimental, but... It wasn't perfected yet, and The Black Cat was very much a big step towards that. It was the first film that featured, in the same film, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, or Bela Lugosi. And yes, this was partly inspired by the current season of You Must Remember This. But more than that, it is far deeper, far deeper than any of the horror films up to this point. Even the most complicated and complex and emotionally rich horror films at that point. And I would say that The Bride of Frankenstein probably exemplifies that. Have nothing on the power of the concepts that are incorporated in The Black Cat, which is supposedly based off of a Edgar Allan Poe story, but it's not really there. It's very thin, if anything. And here's the idea, and this is a classic horror trope. Newlyweds on their honeymoon end up having to interact with a psychiatrist Dr. Vedrast, and that leads them on an adventure. This is the opening of so many horror films, notably the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is referencing all of these. And there are actually obvious references to the Black Cat in Rocky Horror. And the idea is that uh, Lugosi's doctor went off to war and never saw his wife or daughter again. And he spent 15 years in a prison camp because of World War I. And then he's going to travel to see his old friend, Dr. Polzig, who's an architect. And therein begins a sort of a cat and mouse game, which involves everything from necrophilia, brainwashing, torture, drugs. There's even a black mass. None of this would have been possible in the days of the code. None of it. The Hayes Code would never have allowed any of this. And what's amazing is that this film, largely because Karloff and Lugosi were at the peak of their powers, of drawing powers in particular, was a huge hit. It was Universal's biggest hit of 1934. It brought in about a quarter of a million dollars, which is doesn't seem like a lot now, but with inflation, it's a lot. And Universal wasn't the biggest studio either. One of the things that we certainly see here is this idea of occultism, which is often sort of referenced in early 30s horror. But again, sort of obliquely, here it is obvious. There's a black mass, but an occult that follows Polzig. Where things get really strange is in the relationship between Polzig and Rudegrass' daughter, who is also Polzig's stepdaughter. And he's 
well, he's not happy. <laughs> and it's it's that sort of element that had never really been dealt in a mainstream film before. There had been some more under-the-spotlight films that dealt with issues like this, but never as overtly, as powerfully. One of the things that uh, Polzig does is keeps a collection of dead women on display in glass display cases. That's That never would have been allowed in, in the code, or at least the early days of the code. Once it started loosening up, by the, really by the 50s, you started to see it. 100%, I think, that the black cat should be on the registry. Technically, it is... It is solid. It is a solid, solid film. It is easily the most interesting of the early talky eras to me for its use of sound. Because it's not only the music, it's also the complete sound design. They're feeling their way around how to make sound work. And it did. And absolutely hit it right here. Another thing is that there's this sort of cultural element that the black cat represented this idea of the super team-up. And when you look at... Lugosi and Karloff. They were two of the biggest stars in the world at that point, being put in a movie together. That idea existed to a degree earlier. Some might point to uh, the Fatty Arbuckle and Buster Keaton films, but they were really both at the start of their careers at that point. This is a certain team-up of these two guys. The acting is phenomenal. Karloff is always really good. Bella put into a scenario that is heavy and it's great. He does an amazing job. The way it's shot, gorgeous. It it evokes the same cinematographic sensations that you got from Dracula, from Frankenstein. But it does so within a larger context of a film that is dealing with heavy, dark issues. It is nightmarish in a way. But it is, in a way, here and now nightmare. Whereas both Dracula and Frankenstein, Frankenstein more than Dracula, honestly, far more different, feels very pushed away. And while, yeah, this is a very, very different place there in Hungary, the reality is that this is meant to be a story of the now. And thus it had to use someone who was, in a way, present in the world as sort of a basis. And the basis for this is Aleister Crowley. Polzig is supposed to be Crowley. The wickedest man on earth. This may not be entirely true, but if you look at the movie poster, the original movie poster, you see where there's a shaft of light coming out from a black cat's eye, which is unmistakably a reference to Crowley. His golden dawn, the, the most famous image of him with the eye in the back and these sort of rays behind him. Crowley was very much in the news. There was a big occultist sense out there. So... It is dealing within that world. This is a complicated picture. And at the time, it was seen more as a novelty. Uh, one of the reviews I love <laughs> was, The black cat is more foolish than horrible. The story and dialogue pile the agony on too thick to give the audience a reasonable scare. And this is something I think that speaks to the evolution of the audience. At this point, if you look at the universal horror films of the 1930s, they're not scary today. They are moody. And upon reflection, they may be disturbing, but Dracula, Frankenstein, we wouldn't consider them horror films except for the fact that they establish what horror films would become. We have lived through almost 80 years, actually more than 80 years, of the evolution of horror and of what is seen as scary. It's obvious that the 
Universal Horror Films would have been frightening to an audience of the late 20s, early 30s. Because, not only because they were the first generation to get them, to have them placed upon them, but they had no vocabulary, no understanding of these concepts in a construct of what viewing a film would be. What requires intellectualization now to make it scary was scary then because they had no way to intellectualize that experience. The Black Cat isn't necessarily scary. It is disturbing, even today, because not only of the topics, but because it is placed within a context to us today that is so heavy, that is so different, but that has aspects that we see in the world. This film works better after the Manson family, after, you know, the pop culturalization of serial killers, of madmen. This works better after the Holocaust, after we have understand the depravity of humanity. And the fact that this came before, really, the mass media took up these ideas of the darkness of human activities in the sciences, in cults. It's sort of the, the pre-moment where we are able to then understand what exactly is happening and to be terrified of it because we can understand it somewhat, because we can see elements of the real world that have happened. This is a powerful and a disturbing and an incredibly impressively done film. And between now and the end of the year, I'm going to be doing a bunch of episodes of all my podcasts about the horror films pre-1980 for the most part that will look at, one, their initial release and how they were viewed, two, how television and shows like Creature Features and hosts like Vampira and Elvira and especially to me, Bob Wilkins, John Stanley, Sven Gulli, Goulardi, Zachary, how they all contributed to the ability for a film like The Black Cat to be seen as a cinematic milestone. In essence, it gave it the context under which it could be aesthetically, historically, or culturally important, or at least enough to make it to the National Film Registry. 